Welcome to Catalyze. I'm Elias Gadira from the class of 2026. I have with me Moorhead Kane president Chris Bradford. We asked Chris to join the show today to hear about his first year and a half in the role. We talked about the progress we made in 2022 and what opportunities he sees for Moorhead Kane. Chris, thank you so much for joining the show. Ilias, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's been about a year and a half since you've assumed your role as Moorhead Kane's president. How do you feel? I feel great. It's hard to believe it's been 18 months, to be honest. I feel like I arrived here yesterday, mm-hmm. and yet I've also built relationships in the time that I've been here that I feel that I've had for so much longer than 18 months, just as a result of the depth with which I've been able to get to know members of this community, scholars, staff, alumni. It's a wonderful place to be. What do you feel like has been the most surprising thing about members from this community? Did you have any uh, first impressions that were kind of torn down as you got to meet people a lot better? Well, the thing that blows me away at Morehead Kane is simply how pleasant and friendly everyone is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just had the opportunity to get to know people in ways that uh, I think I wasn't fully accustomed to and 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 get to get to know people early as a result of a shared culture and a shared set of values that have existed here over a long period of time. We just had our forum, Ilias, as you know, and the thing that was so neat is to see members of the classes of the 1970s in conversations with members of our classes of the 2020s and to see that those classes look very different just because mm-hmm. the university has changed in so many ways. But so many of the underlying character attributes are the same. And you see those collide with each other in conversation. And it's a really uh, wonderful thing to be a part of. I'm so glad that you've had such a positive experience since joining the team. What was your focus or goals when you started? And what have you learned? And what do you look forward to learning more about? When I arrived here, I was personally going through a massive contextual change. I had been living in the global south. I had been working with secondary school students who were transitioning to university and students who were from a very diverse environment, but all across the African continent. I was moving to uh, the global north, a very high-resourced university with students who are primarily from the United States and half of whom are from the state of North Carolina, where I'd never lived before. Hmm. And so... um, It was important to enter that with some level of humility and just seek to understand this place Um, and also understand uh, the scholarship program at Moorhead Kane. I have great respect for history and for uh, the institutional customs and norms that build over a period of time. And it was clear that there were so many things that were so strong as a function of uh, culture that had been built over many years. And I wanted to make sure that I understood that um, versus simply tried to leave my mark. My success is going to be a function of my being one of this community rather mm-hmm. than simply uh, being in a position of leadership in this community. Um, and I hope that uh, I hope that I, I've, others perceive me as having had some success in learning this space. I think I'm still learning the space every day. I've enjoyed that challenge immensely. So as you've transitioned from your former role at African Leadership Academy, coming to North Carolina and really immersing yourself in this space, what have you found to be some very effective ways to kind of get to know the culture of Chapel Hill and get to know the student body better? Well, one of the ways I 
get to know the student body is by having people stop into my office. And so mm-hmm. this is a good plug for any scholars who listen to this podcast to know that they can just set an appointment with me on the MCN, as you have, Elias. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so it's been so fun to have people stop through the office to have had have conversations. But also, uh, I have a young family. And so that means that we will often do walks through campus and we'll bump into uh, scholars in situ, which has been a really wonderful experience for us. You know, when I take my daughter to a volleyball game and I run into a group of your classmates and I'm able to sit with them and have a conversation about their life at Carolina at that time, it's a really special and fun thing for me. Right. And going off of that, I just saw you the other day at Purple Bowl up on Franklin Street. What have you found to be your favorite food spots around town? Well, my daughter would say Ben and Jerry's, uh, <laughs> which she knows is run by Uncle Antonio uh, of Antonio McBroom, who is a Moorhead Kane alum. I would probably say Sutton's simply for the historical value associated with, uh, with Sutton's. It was one of the first places I went when I got here, and I really enjoy it. Wonderful. So, Chris, 2022 was a year of transition for just about everyone. What is Moorhead Kane like post-COVID-19? For prospective scholars, and have you spotted any trends? So this is a great question because I wasn't here before COVID nineteen, but what I but I had a sense of a community when I arrived that was tired uh, for a lot of reasons. Right, right. We had COVID nineteen, which is just a very difficult environment for any educational institution. And we had COVID-19 here at UNC Chapel Hill on the on the heels of um, a silent Sam reckoning that I think was very challenging for mm-hmm. a number of members of our community and our student body. And so uh, I experienced a community that was tired and a number of scholars who were hopeful of having a university experience that they really believed in. Uh, people were really excited about being Moorhead Kane scholars, but hadn't had the opportunity to live the Moorhead Kane experience. Right. This term has been one of the most joyful I have ever experienced in schools as I walk through campus. And I think it's a function of students really stepping into, both Moorhead Kane scholars and students across the UNC campus, really stepping into the opportunity to be back in college and enjoying their life as a scholar and enjoying everything that a university like this has to offer because so many of those things were simply not available over the past two years. And so this has been a wonderful time, I think, for so many. And I hope that we can maintain that level of energy and enthusiasm about learning, about scholarship, about research, about intercultural collisions, about attending collegiate events in terms that follow. Like, I hope we'll remember how it felt to return post-COVID and we won't take the things here for granted in the terms Mm -hmm. that come Now, over the past year, there have been many conversations around a set of commitments established in 2021. What progress have you seen being made and how has the community helped? Thank you for that question. Uh, I think this is one of the most important things that I needed to to do in the first year was uh, capture a whole range of inputs, including a survey that so many members of our community, scholars, staff, alumni, uh, contributed to with respect to important questions of diversity and inclusion and more had came. And uh, coming out of that, we recognized that there are a set of timeless community commitments that we need to make, which you can find on the MCN in the President's Corner section. Uh, 
and that will take us years of continuing to grow towards our ideals. One is building intentional community uh, of scholars from all different backgrounds who will thrive together uh, as scholars on this campus and beyond as an intergenerational community. Another is expanding opportunity and making sure that the more headcane is accessible to the most extraordinary young leaders, regardless of where they are. Uh, a third is to foster discourse and learning and really invest in the type of dialogue that, um, and learning that comes from intimate conversation and a collision of ideas. And finally, ensuring that our programming is impactful for all young leaders, regardless of their background. Um, everyone who enters this experience deserves an experience that is college as it should be. And, uh, and we need to be thoughtful about assessing the quality of our experience for every scholar and understanding mm -hmm. um, where we are delivering and where we might be falling short. I think there are a number of things that over the last year we can point to that show progress in these areas. And there are some simple things. When we walk into the spaces, we can see our community represented in a way that reflects the intentionality of our community. We see art from elders in our community, as well as from current scholars in our different spaces and lighting up our spaces and asking us important questions. Um, the, whether it's Thomas Sayre's pieces in the Scholar Lounge or uh, scholar drone shots that are in the Dixon Room. Um, we have uh, questions that we've asked in selections that I think have both improved the rigor of our selection process, but have also uncovered places where we're falling short. One place that I'm particularly aware that we need to do better is attracting rural scholars, for example. When we dig into the data, we see that uh, while we run a process that sees scholars equally likely to progress every phase of our funnel, whether they are white, black, male, or female, if you cut that data differently and you look at urban scholars versus rural scholars, we see that rural talent is less likely to shine in mm -hmm. our process. And we have to ask what it is about our process that might be obscuring talent that we should be confident exists because we have a very proud history here mm -hmm. of recognizing and attracting extraordinary rural talent into this program. And we can see that across our alumni community. And there's much more that uh, I think our entire community and listeners to this podcast can find in our year in review about our progress in each of these areas. What I want to note is that this work is not work that you undertake in a, in a day or a month or a year or you put out a statement and it's over. We need to assess our progress on these four big ideas every single year and then craft objectives for the year to come that we will, uh, that we will tackle with verve. So this year, in addition to the rural scholars question, I'm excited about progress that I think we'll make in two areas in 2023. One is ensuring that we are modeling inclusion for scholars with disabilities for this campus and right. others. And uh, we have learned so much and enjoyed so much the presence of scholars with disabilities in this community. But we also have seen, as you might have heard on a recent Catalyze podcast, which mm -hmm. you hosted right. um, with Laura and Eleanor, some of the challenges that uh, extraordinary students on this campus face as a result of differing abilities. We need to 
uh, ensure that we are setting the standard there. And there's some changes that we've made to our spaces and changes that we will make. We'll have a lift, for example, that we'll install uh, mm-hmm. in the ground floor this year that will improve flow through the space, a small but important thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to enhance our nominating partnerships that can access scholars with disabilities and make clear that we, that we are a place that looks for extraordinary talent. Uh, with disabilities. And that will be a win for us. And then we'll also focus heavily on this rural scholar question. And we will hope focus heavily on this question of discourse and dialogue with mm-hmm. some uh, initiatives that will undertake both scholar-led and, and program-led in the uh, term to come. Thank you, Chris. Now you talk about initiatives being scholar-led and program-led. How would you say the Moorhead Cane community in general is getting involved with making the Moorhead Cane Scholarship more accessible to rural students, particularly alumni and current scholars? Oh, that's an awesome question. And I think that we have not yet answered that question as fully as we need to. And if there are people listening to this podcast who think, I want to be involved in supporting rural scholar identification, or I want to be involved in any of these priorities, I hope they'll reach out to me directly. Uh, Chris at moreheadgain.org, and because we would love to to harness scholar and alumni participation in every one of these priorities. One of the things that I think is so exciting here, Ilias, is just the way in which our uh, scholars and our alumni are able to connect with each other. The right. level of alumni participation at Moorhead Kane is extraordinary, from giving to the program to more importantly, responding to emails. When scholars mm-hmm. when scholars reach out to an alum with a question, um, that alum always responds to participating in the selection process. You know, we have about 500 alumni who invest time in evaluating scholars in different phases of our election of our selection process, ensuring that every candidate is reviewed by a diverse set of reviewers who understand this community, this place, its values. And that's been a massive source of our success over the past 75 years. And as we think about these challenges ahead of us, like the rural challenge, it's going to be a question of how we capture alumni input and engagement that will help us um, crack that uh, in ways that see Moorhead Kane become accessible to the most promising young leaders in all different backgrounds. And once we've cracked or feel we've made progress on the on the rural issue, we will inevitably find another community that we feel we have not appropriately expanded opportunity to, and that will be one that we'll need to focus on next. And at every phase, we'll have to find ways to get alumni involved, whether it's going back to their schools, supporting selection um, in uh, their local regions, or proposing ideas that can help us uh, break down some of the barriers that might exist for prospective applicants today. So, Chris, taking into account the full picture and thinking longer term beyond the selection process, what opportunities do you see for Moorhead Kane? As I came in here, one of the questions I was asking was, we'll have our centennial in 2045. And where do we want to be and what's the impact that we hope we will have had on the world as an organization, as a community in 2045 at the 100th anniversary of the establishment of the foundation? And I think that there are a set of questions that we have to, that we have to ask ourselves in order to wrap our heads around, around Moorhead Kane in 2045. 
Uh, one is how do we want to see this program evolve such that we are identifying and investing in and empowering dynamic leaders who will who will shape the future over that time frame and beyond, right? And that includes uh, in continuing to expand opportunity in our admissions process and identify the most extraordinary leaders as we've just described, but it also includes shaping the future of the program itself. How do we want to see the program evolve? Um, and what are the opportunities we see to deepen leadership development of every scholar over the course of your time in the program? The second question is, how do we use more, how do we think about Moorhead Kane as this platform and this, this set of things that we've learned how to do so well, right? We run an admissions process that I think would be the envy of any highly selective uh, college or university in the world. In terms of the number of eyes that we're able to put on every candidate, the range of things we're able to look at, um, the ways in which we're able to use information at our disposal. And uh, we run a program that I see as college as it should be. Every scholar goes through a series of escalating challenges and ensures that they have an extraordinary university experience. We have this amazing network and we have this very powerful brand, particularly in the state of North Carolina where if you walk into high schools, you can see signs mm -hmm. celebrating Moorhead scholars going back to the 1950s. And how do we use those assets beyond just our financial assets to maximize our impact? And there are a number of ways in which we can think about these things. So uh, on the first, when we think about the program and the future of the program, one of the things that I hope we will do a little more deliberately in the years ahead is articulate for scholars the outcomes that we hope to see. One of the weaknesses I see in tertiary education is we organize ourselves around the acquisition of credits and majors right. rather than um, the articulation of a set of higher order outcomes that are essential for uh, lifelong learning and leadership. And I actually think we have a number of implicit outcomes that we care about. We want to foster explorers. We want to build every scholar with the capacity for personal authorship. Right? We want to help you articulate for yourself a sense of purpose. And we see that as a result of uh, the amazing things our alumni are doing across a whole range of sectors. But I think we would help you manage your own university experience better and help us ensure outcomes for every scholar if we could actually do a better job of articulating what those outcomes that we seek are right. and how our programmatic investments lead to those outcomes. How can we assess our progress? And so that's one place where I think we need to get stronger. And I think if we get stronger in that area, we set a model for how the university more broadly could get stronger in this area. And that's exciting for me too. Um, second, when I think of us as a platform, there are low-hanging fruit ideas that I think we need to tackle with Gusto. Uh, I've been very aware in 2021 and 2022 that I'm not sure that there has been a worse time to be a school teacher in the United mm -hmm. States of America. Right. Um, as I looked at what happened in Uvalde, for example, uh, and I think about and we see the exodus of teachers from the profession. This is a profession that develops leaders for our society, right? Uh, how do we play a meaningful role in the lives of, of, of educators? 
And we have extraordinary scholars uh, who know extraordinary educators. And a very low-hanging thing for us to do is simply thank extraordinary high school educators for the work they do to prepare leaders every day. And in so doing, I think we can also help those leaders in these classrooms all over North Carolina, all over the United States and the world, understand what Moorhead Kane is and funnel more extraordinary scholars from all different backgrounds into our program. So starting this year, as you know, we've asked every scholar to tell us about a high school educator that shaped their lives. We're also giving every, every semifinalist this opportunity. And then we will be giving Moorhead Kane Impact Educator Awards to all of these hundreds of educators across the state, nation, and world who are having impact um, on young leaders, hopefully creating a sense of celebration and, and adding uh, some respect and joy to their work in the classroom. But we will also, beginning with, with educators in North Carolina, give them the opportunity this year to apply for Loveless Fund Discovery Grants, uh, small amounts of money that they can use to explore things that can help them prepare the next generation of leaders better. But in so doing, and in, in communicating this opportunity, we communicate the way in which we think about education at Moorhead Kane and how, uh, how opportunities like the Discovery Fund can unlock next levels of learning and help people understand what the opportunity at Moorhead Kane and UNC is in more detail. So this is a small thing. I'm grateful to some alumni who have provided the funding for us to undertake this pilot. But it's an example of us using our platform in a way that hopefully increases our impact on the state, nation, and world, but also has a positive effect on the future of the program by bringing even more extraordinary candidates into Moorhead Kane in the future. And I think there are questions for us to ask about other investments that we could make that could not only enhance that core of scholars in the Moran Kane program, but also have a broader beneficial impact on society. And if there are alumni or scholars who are listening to this and they think, hey, I've got an idea of something Moorhead Kane might be able to do that could both enhance the core and maximize our impact on the world, we'd love to hear it. Thank you, Chris. I was really excited to be able to finally thank one of my teachers and thank you for trying to make college more as it should be as a place where we're able to pay back to those who served us. Okay, we started talking about exciting ideas of the future, but we also started this conversation by talking about the importance of understanding our past. How do you think about the purpose of Moorhead Kane in this continuum? One of the inspiring things for me before arriving here was reading the trust and denture that John Motley Moorhead III wrote to establish what was then the Moorhead Foundation, right? Because he wrote something that, a statement that I think is timeless. He said, the most important investment that can be made for a people is that which is made in the education and training as leaders of those who have been endowed by their creator with the capacity for leadership. And that is what he sought to do with his resources. And many of our alumni will probably recognize that sentence as something that they heard at their fall banquets or their senior dinner, um, because it's something that we have repeated uh, time and again here at the foundation. And so you know, why do we exist here at the foundation? Why did Mary Kane make a gift from the Gordon and Mary Kane Foundation uh, to Moorhead and make it Moorhead Kane? It was because Gordon Kane had made his money through leverage in private equity mm -hmm. and believed in the leverage of leadership. 
So why do we exist? We exist as an organization to develop leaders who shape thriving communities, right? And we are investors who invest in leaders because of their impact on communities. And as we think about the future of the foundation, we need to think about first, how do we develop leaders who can positively impact their communities? But, but second, how do we use ourselves and how do we use our, use our resources and these assets to maximize our impact on those communities themselves? The thing about the teacher idea that I just described, for example, is that it's not a significant departure from what we've done. It's a very inexpensive way, thing for us to do on our existing platform to thank people who deserve to be thanked for the role they play, play in developing leaders and shaping communities. And it also improves our ability to identify leaders who we can develop to shape communities. And I think there are lots of opportunities like this as we think expansively. And I look forward to working with all of you to think about how we invest ourselves, our time, our resources in ways that maximize their impact on this university, on the state of North Carolina, on the United States, and on the world. I think we've only scratched the surface of what we are capable of as leaders because leadership is the most important investment that can be made in the future of a society. Thank you, Chris. One of the things I've noticed during my time on Moorhead Kane is that everybody emphasizes Moorhead Kane being a center for catalyzing change. In fact, the theme of the Catalyze podcast is action, movement, and bringing about change. When faced with obstacles, hardships, or challenges, is there a song that you listen to that motivates you to keep you going? This is a great question. Obstacles, <laughs> hardships, or challenges? Well, when I... Uh, so when I have to get fired up or when I like, when I have this to start a day where there's a big day, your hype, song. like the forum day, a hype <laughs> song. So I, you will, you will typically find that I'm listening to. So, uh, Curtis Mayfield or James Brown. Okay. Uh, Superfly soundtrack or, okay. Uh, get wonderful. Up. Those are, those are, those are, those have been songs for me for many, mm -hmm. many years. Uh, day to day. I, I, Going true to my roots in South Africa, I do actually listen to quite a lot of Afrobeats, so Wizkid or Davido, but those are less hype songs for me and more kind of a soundtrack of our house and our life. <laughs> Chris, is there anything else you would like to add before we close out? Uh, the only thing I'd like to add is, is to repeat something I said before. Um, I learn through conversations with members of this community every day, and uh, my office and inbox are open, welcome the opportunity to, to schedule a time with any scholar over the on uh, the MCN. And uh, I'm grateful, Ilias, for your time and for your curiosity and for all of your engagement, both here in, at Moorhead Kane and across the UNC community. And thank you so much for joining the episode today, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Catalyze. I'm Elias Gadira from the class of 2026, and that was Moorhead Kane president Chris Bradford. To learn more about the program, you can visit Moorhead Kane's year in review by following the link in the episode description. You can let us know what you thought of this episode by emailing us at communications at moorheadkane.org or by letting us know on social media at Moorhead Kane.